you're listening to the Man Overseas Podcast, a show that explores methods and ideas to help you live a bigger life. You will hear interesting stories of how people live, how they save and invest their money, and why having time wealth is better than being a billionaire. If you are entertained, educated, or elevated, be sure to hit the subscribe button. We're just getting started. Now here is your host, Brad D'Antonio. Hello, beautiful listeners. Boy, are you in for a treat. I have Chase Lambin joining me. It'll be his second time. He was my first ever guest, and I hate to break this to you, Chase, but you weren't who I wanted initially. I wanted Wayne, the older brother from the Wonder Years, and when he wasn't available, I tried Alf. His publicist said that he was retired, and then the voice of Scooby-Doo. So there was some nostalgia that I had what equated in my mind to an AM radio show, and I was, I was going to go the nostalgic route just to start, but when that didn't work out, I decided to go with my best bud of almost 30 years. And uh, you brung it. You really brung it. And it showed up in the number of downloads. So whew, I'm glad to have you back. I was watching Neil deGrasse Tyson's interview the other day. I don't remember who was interviewing him, but they asked him how he became so articulate, such a good communicator. And he said, 95% of the things that I've said publicly, I've written down beforehand. And I thought, whoa, I've never heard anybody say that before. And I don't write down nearly as much, but... It is incredible how often I'll prepare for a podcast and just do a bullet point, and that bullet point will lead me down a rabbit hole, and then when it comes to the podcast and I have to fill a void, I'll fill it with whatever I extended a bullet point with, if that makes any sense. (laughs) So, yeah, sometimes I've written things down that I'll end up using and that could be for a podcast or a talk or anything things that sound like they're off the cuff a lot of times they're written on a scratch piece of paper somewhere that I thought I might use as a joke or something but so as not to make a fool of myself I will practice speaking to non-Louisiana audiences because I don't want to get pegged to Kunas and not get a speaking gig in Omaha (laughs) right I mean uh, my Louisiana crowd know they know me as Bradley D, and in Texas they emphasize the D. So I had to change my name from Bradley to Brad, like Bradley to Brad, real quick. Otherwise, people just couldn't understand me. I've told that story before about the coolest kid in class, me asking him for a quarter, and it was like, "Bro, you got a quarter?" He was like, "What? What did you say?" So I had to change the way I spoke, and I'm still conscious of it today. But to have people commend me for the way that I speak, that's that feels good because I worked on it. And, you know, when you work on something and people compliment you for it, it feels good. I never felt good about the things that were granted by God. And I, I think I've talked about this before, but growing up, I... 
I, it never felt fair to me that I was a better athlete than the next kid, just as an example. So if Dennis Price was hanging out on the wing and I already had 20 points and we were up by 20 points, I'm going to try to get him the ball so he can shoot, you know, because it just didn't seem fair. Why, why was I m me as a 10-year-old and he was him? It, anyway, the podcast, I know I've been slacking not having as many episodes as I did in, say, 2019. I was unbelievably blessed to have the option of spending more time with the family or becoming the next Joe Rogan. And I told Spotify to keep their $100 million. I want to make sure I listen to my little girl's toots. <laughs> just kidding. She doesn't toot. No, I'm just kidding about the Spotify thing. So, but I did watch the audience drop off when she was born, and that's because you do have to stay consistent in this business or you will lose audience, which is completely understandable. So, as I said, though, if there are people out there who listen to episodes and they've changed their thinking which has made them a better husband father employee businessman or woman investor or investorette or just an overall better human is that safe to say better humankind i think is what we say now i don't know who, who can keep up that stuff makes my day in no other way and so if we help one person become a better human we're going to keep on keeping on because life's a garden, dig it. I have your thoughtful notes to prove we're making a difference in some of your lives. And as of this moment, I actually, I've got a wait list for one-on-ones as of tonight, which is so flattering. I am glad it's helping, and we're going to figure out a way to make it work if I get a request for one-on-one -on -one coaching tomorrow even if it means my, quote, working on days that I haven't previously. And it all started with Chase. I think if I were just talking to myself, I wouldn't get the number of people who want to work with me that do because they get to hear me respond and ask certain questions. And it's amazing how much people trust you once they do get you on the line and you have that first conversation. It's, it's amazing, really. I've never experienced anything like it, so I do have solo episodes every once in a while, but if you're looking for a personal coach, you want to know what it's about, we can schedule a 30-minute Zoom call. It's harmless. I'll just tell you, I'll get your questions answered, tell you how it goes typically, then we'll schedule you weekly. If the coaching business continues to grow at this pace, I'm going to add probably a Thursday morning. It's hard to turn away an ambitious young woman or man who's looking for interview guidance or career direction or just a consistent plan of attack, accountability. I mean, who am I to say, no, nah, bro, I'm, I'm full up, man. I would have done anything to get around somebody who was 10, 15 years older than me and just interact with them on a weekly basis, someone who had been where I had been, and how did they navigate it, and 
if you're really applying yourself but feel like you're spinning wheels or your income hasn't gone up 20 to 30 percent since you graduated college just as an example man i will find the time to work one-on-one with you and we will level up together i promise you that hell i even did one with baby o on my lap a few weeks ago it's not ideal i know that but i want you to know that What I put in, in addition to what's expected of me from you, who's paying me to coach you, that's an investment in you. And I sometimes, I think of it like a pin code. Like, you may have three of the digits, but if you keep getting the fourth one wrong and they lock you out, you're going to remain locked out. They're going to keep pushing it back. Nope, wait 30 minutes. Nope, wait 30 days. Wait 30 years. (laughs) No. No, if you just had that fourth number, it could open up a whole other world to you that you don't realize is there. And for several of you, you've told me that I've provided that fourth number. And I'm, I'm not being braggadocious, but I want to see you waking up every morning excited, ready to attack the day. That's living right there. doesn't surprise me a bit what my clients are accomplishing right now. I can't tell you how often all it takes is just a nudge here, suggestion there, or a reframe on the way we look at something interpersonally, but we do it together, so maybe I give you a different angle. I don't know, but having an objective third party in your life can work wonders. I also found out recently we're in the top 2% of podcasts worldwide. That's saying something. So... Thank you for believing in me. I certainly believe in you. We're going to we're going to set the world on fire. Fire like Hayana, chocolate and bow-legged, running up behind you. Go ahead do a job, pop the lock, let the Anyway, I had to get that in. But I don't know where you fall on this. I hear quite a bit there should be less podcasts. I'd argue the opposite. As long as they're willing to to take the mask off like be real be real as long as you're real let's get more voices out there my only advice is don't try to be something you're not if you and I ever met let's say at the OPA Jays tryout it's a baseball select team here in Houston Carson Lee my buddy runs it he also has an apparel line called one percent better what you're going to meet there is what you're you've heard for 84 episodes now unless I've woken up in the last five to ten minutes which Chase alludes to on the episode I'm the same dude if you're just starting a podcast it's a grind don't do it for the money do it because you're curious you want to learn talk to interesting people hopefully that you like and respect if you do those things that I just mentioned this is this can be so fun you get completely immersed in a conversation in a way that you you quickly realize doesn't happen anymore. Not when there's a phone right there next to you. Chase Chase used to come over in our 20s on a Friday night, and we used to just talk and talk about books and things like that, life, finances, and women, and and that's it. We would just talk like all night. We'd get We'd go out to the club, bottle full of bub, come back, sit on the same separate couches, and continue the conversation. And we'd exchange books and, and give them back two weeks later because we both understood, like, you let somebody borrow a book, you give it back. 
And how many people do you know who don't give the book back? Well, that's not your inner circle. So keep, keep searching. They'll, they're out there, those people, that will give the book back. I promise you. There's scumbags everywhere, too. <laughs> so watch out for those people. But I'm so proud of Chase at this point. I could talk about him forever. Sometimes I get worried that my friends think that I talk about him too much. He played professional baseball until he was 35 years old. Played for Bobby Valentine in the Japanese big leagues with the Chibalot Marines. When my wife and I visited Chiba in 2016, we stayed in a high-rise hotel near the stadium so we could see inside. What are the odds that based on the floor that we stayed on, the only section in the stadium we could see was where Chase's cheering section sat in right field? How cool, how cool is that? I mean, but you won't hear Chase talk about his Japanese experience that much. Chase is a man who's had the sort of career for which movies are made. But he walks around like, like the, the hot girl who doesn't know she's hot. You see how, how I said Dudden right there? That's all Louisiana. It just comes out sometimes. And it'll be coming out the rest of my life. My dad still drops his R's all the time. All right, folks. Let's get to me and Chase. I've talked to you now for 13 minutes. Let's get it on. Chase, welcome back. You were my first guest. Did you know that? I did know that, and it's good to be back. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. We didn't even know we were in the same town until a few days ago. We're in H-Town, baby. We are. We're not here often, but we're here now. How did we discover we were in the same town? I think you saw my mom post a uh, picture on Facebook of me being here in Sugarland, and you reached out, thankfully. The wonders of Facebook. True. Without Facebook, we would have passed like thieves in the night. <laughs> like thieves in the night. I sink my teeth in the bite. You think in life? Uh, I'm thinking more like, what's up tonight? Uh, my rap game's a little light, so you're going to Obviously, dude. Yeah. If there's anybody I thought would pick me up right there, it was you. It's true. I've changed. I don't like that about you. <laughs> I'm just messing. I mean, you introduced me around the clubhouse as your best friend, but I don't know if you can call me that anymore. It's true. I got to catch up with my, my 90s rap game. Well, let me say this. DMX is not alive anymore. It's true. Yeah. That was my junior college jam. Yes. We crushed DMX. Oh, dude, I went to the concert. Rough Riders with the Cash Money Millionaires. There were eight white people there, and I was one of eight, and we all went, all eight of us, in the yeah. same Tahoe to the concert. Wow. Cash Money Millionaires came out in a helicopter over the crowd, like from the back, and went over the floor seats and threw $10,000 worth of cash on the people. Stop it. Yeah. How many dollars did those eight white guys get? We sat, we didn't sit on the floor, so we got <laughs> nothing. <laughs> But it was a jam. I mean, the way he got after. Yeah, yeah. What do you got to come and get it? Yeah. We would uh, we would get hype for our games with some DMX. Like our our we'd be thirteen deep in a ten passenger van driving to somewhere, and we'd put on DMX, and we didn't care that we were sitting on top of each other about to go play a doubleheader in a hundred and twelve degree heat. So we had DMX on our side. Yes, God, D was something. That was the Rough Riders. Who else was in the Rough Riders? Do you remember? I don't know. I hear Rough Riders now, and that's the name of our double-A team. Are you the serious? Frisco Rough Riders. Yeah, so Get I just think out. about, like, is that? What city? What? Fresno? Frisco. Frisco. It's in uh, DFW. So are all of y'all's teams in Texas? I thought you were going to ask if they're all named after DMX. <laughs> 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 no, uh, 
two are. The other two are in North Carolina. Okay. Hickory is one of the places, right? Yep, Hickory, and then down east is in a place called Kinston. Because you introduced me to, is it the head coach yesterday? Uh, yeah, Hagen. Yeah, he's Hagen. The, I mean, it's manager in baseball, not head coach. It's not That's football. right, that's right. Why or, is that? Or uh, head coach is in college baseball, too, so it gets a little confusing. Yeah, why are they managers in, ba- in pro ball? That's a good question. It's just the way it is. You don't ask questions. Okay. Well, I won't ask any more questions. <laughs> That's going to be a did tough you Did you want to wrap podcast, it up here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're staying in a sweet joint, man. I thought AAA was like bottom of the barrel, but no. You're staying in highfalutin Marriott with the Starbucks at the bottom. Yeah. AAA is nice. It's it's not the big leagues, but it's definitely not as uh, grindy as the, the, the lower level minor leagues. Yeah, and as we were coming up the elevator, the dude that's walking out as we're going in is the dude that went viral last year for getting called up to the big leagues. Yeah. And you didn't introduce me. Yeah, that's on me. It's a little yeah. early. Yeah. He's also a little grizzly in the morning. He's he's uh he can be a little a little testy, so Well, you have to know your players. That's part of knowing my players is that they they're kind of, he's kind of like you in the morning. Like, yeah. You got to give him some time to get <laughs> some coffee. Yeah, cuz I told you that I would be here at 9 and what time did I get here? Not nine. Not nine. No, nope. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't. I shouldn't even set an alarm, but I did, thinking maybe you had changed from when we were seventeen and eighteen. But no. Well, it's funny you say that because as a professional, I don't get to where I am unless I revert, unless I became you and got up at six thirty. Right. But then I've since reverted to my seventeen-year-old ways. We all come back to our own ways. Yeah. Well, that was one of the deals with early retirement. I tell the wife, like, if you want to fly, yeah, that's fine. We can fly to Chicago, but don't. Don't book a time where I have to set an alarm. Mm. I'm not doing alarms anymore. Really? Yeah, fuck that. <laughs> alarms aren't your jam. They're not part of my life anymore. Wow. Yeah. I kind of enjoy alarms. I, I feel like if I don't have an alarm, uh, I get behind the wave on a day. Like, I, the structure hasn't is already off to a bad start. I guess I, I thrive when there's better structure. Mm. So, like, in the off-season, sometimes I'll get a little, a little sideways when, like, there's just not – the structure of the baseball season so it's interesting you say that because i'm the opposite i would think it's so bad for you mm. to be suddenly woken up that way i mean you think about thousands of years of evolutionary history nobody woke up to an alarm they you woke, woke up, up naturally right well the sun what's more startling the sun or the well the i don't think it was starting <clears throat> startling i think it was gradual yeah that's what was it circadian rhythms with the sleep cycles we sleep when it's dark and wake up when it's light yeah, you're probably right. I just think the like I enjoy spring training when I'm waking up at like three forty five in the morning to go to the field in spring training. I I think that's exciting to have a lot of stuff done by six thirty. I've not. heard that. I've heard people say that. <laughs> yeah. You're also a hunter. Good point. So in the off season I think that's why I gravitate towards hunting is because I I do enjoy getting up before the sun comes up and watching the sunrise, so different strokes for different folks yeah i hate getting up early but when i do i'm glad i did hmm it's kind of like working out then so it's kind of like so much in life i mean you don't want to shower once you get in the shower you're like oh i'm so glad i'm you sound like my 10 year old son doesn't want to shower like who doesn't want to shower? i, I love Man. showering dude i go two three days without showering sometimes that's tmi yeah is that what your 10 year old son says too i actually shower three times a day in in this during the season because it's like shower like go on a walk with sarah in the morning shower because i'm sweating i don't want to go to the field sweaty shower after batting practice because it's a thousand degrees and you're sweating like crazy 
And so before the game, you put on a fresh uniform. You don't want to be swampy. And then after the game. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, no, I'll just forget. I, um, well, when we were in Guatemala, I would wear a pair of swim trunks and take a shower with my little girl. And so since my wife is insistent on her having a bath, that my little daughter, her having a bath every day, I would take a bath every day or a shower every day. And that's something I'll always cherish, those moments in the shower, because she is so sweet. Like, when she was done, I'd put her down. I would hold her most of the time. And then when I was done washing her, I'd put her down, and then she would kind of wash my toes. Mm. And I was like, oh, you're helping me wash my toe cheesies. And, and she would look up at me and smile. So I'll always have those memories. But So for those two months in Guatemala that we just came back from, I, I did shower every day. But now that we're back in Houston, I didn't shower last night. I didn't shower this morning. So, yeah, I'm sure I'll, I will go 36 hours without showering. Man, that's... But but why is that so bad? I mean, I'm not stinking. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's bad. I just It's just surprising because I guess the... I don't know, it's part of a schedule, I guess, to, wait, to shower at certain times of the day. But if you don't have a fixed schedule, I guess you can go 36 hours. Yeah, and my schedule is definitely not fixed. However, it's becoming more fixed and regimented now that we have a daughter. So we eat as a family together every night at 630, mm. which really throws a dagger in my schedule because I've always been at the gym between like 5 and 7, and I don't like to look at the clock and say, oh, shit, it's 610. I got to get back for dinner. Mm -hmm. But thanks be to God for my wife. She cooks just about every night. And that saves so much money, dude. Golly. Sarah and I were talking about that. Like, going out to eat now is such a – it's so expensive. You get let down by the service, and the food usually lets you down too. So we eat almost every meal at home. We rarely go out to eat, which is a shame. We like to do it, but we it's just – it's so much more affordable and enjoyable to eat at home. Well, now that we have the baby – we do I would say she does less cooking and do she'll do more of those Costco meals. Sure. Have you seen the price of those Costco meals? We went since we got back to Houston. Something like a Thai chicken, one of those you know, like they have the lasagnas and right, you put you it in the oven. Yeah. yeah. They used to be like twelve ninety nine. Now they're eighteen ninety eight. I hardly even look at the prices just because I don't wanna it's sad but i just stick my head in the sand and just i don't blame it. you yeah yeah there a lot of them are 50 percent more it's incredible yeah what you guys like a triple a spread and what i mean by spread is food like buffet style do they treat y'all pretty well in triple a yeah we eat really well our, our the organization invests millions of dollars in the 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 nutrition of our athletes so we're mm. we're actually taken care of so well especially compared to when I played when it was a tongue depressor and a can of peanut butter. <laughs> uh, so they, you know, some places are better than others depending on what city we're in. But for the most part, we're getting really, really solid food. Mm. Last night was the OG Olive Garden for that. It's like salt grass for that. It's, you know, barbecue. So there's, there's a, there's like three meals a day actually at the field. Wait, you abbreviate the Olive Garden as the OG of course. or is is it the OG of Italian food? What were you doing there? Olive Garden is it's an acronym. Oh, okay. It's not really an acronym since it's, it doesn't make a word, but the OG is the Olive Garden. Well, I was thinking we'd talk about more baseball. People love to talk about baseball. I put up an episode with Richard Quickie, who was my grandfather's biographer. You weren't big on the episode. You liked that story I told at the beginning. Mm-hmm. 
but it had a lot of downloads. The last episode, Money Matters, had a lot of downloads. So I like to talk about stuff where people are really going to listen to it. So if I throw baseball into the title, people are going to listen. Yeah. Amazingly. Uh, well, not amazingly. Amazingly to me, maybe, because I'm so far removed. But talk more about AAA baseball and, like, being so close to the big leagues. And, like, you were telling me yesterday, you introduced me to a guy that looked like Adonis. You you were giving me a hidden lesson in the cage, which was awesome. And I might throw that up on social media just so everybody can see my 42-year-old swing. Mm-hmm. You realize I hadn't picked up a bat in 20 years? Yeah. I, I thought about that this last night. It was uh, I picked up a softball bat, mm. and I haven't picked one of those up since I was 31. So that's 11 years. But a baseball bat, it had been 20. Wow. So I didn't do too bad for 20 no, years. No, it's, it's, it's kind of like riding a bike. I mean, obviously the horsepower oh, okay. isn't quite the same, but like you, you make movement patterns, and you create myelin in your head as you know how you learn – whether it be movement patterns or you learn information, it's it's there. It's just yeah. uh, so it, I'm not surprised that your swing looked pretty much like it did when we used to hit together in high school. Wow, crazy! So yeah, you introduced me to this guy that looked like yeah. freaking Deion Sanders, but taller. Yeah, yeah. There's a it, it's it's crazy how AAA in the big leagues is so. I mean, a millimeter apart in terms of like, not actually, it's the same in terms of talent. It's just a matter of who can be consistent on a daily basis and produce at the big league level, which I'll give you a story. Matt Carpenter, uh, he said it really well because he was mentoring some of our younger guys when he started the season with us in AAA, who now is the three-hole hitter for the New York Yankees, which is a crazy story in itself. But Matt Carpenter was the best teammate, the best dude in the world, and he would talk to our younger guys that hadn't gotten to the big leagues, and he would say how the big leagues is no different than AAA because you think that there's just this magical world of, like, you know – awesome players that you know don't ever throw balls down the middle or whatever it is and he said think of it this way he said if you took a uh, a uh, a piece of wood like a six inch wide plat uh platform of wood and you walked across it on the ground you'd have no problem but if you raised it up 30 stories and put it between two buildings you know could you still walk across that piece of wood with the same confidence it's a great analogy right so it's obviously you know there's fear there's a fear factor but if it's on the ground, you don't even think about it. You skip across it, dance across it. But if it's up 30 stories, you all of a sudden become a little leery. And he mm. said, if you can just have the confidence to walk across that plank like it was on the ground, then you can hit in the big leagues or play in the big leagues, which you know made sense to me that it's mainly mental in the big leagues is whether or not guys can stick and they can handle the pressures and the expectations and the, and, and the guys that don't, even if they're crazy athletic like the guy you met yesterday, you know, they end up back in AAA. And AAA is its own little island. It's not really the minor leagues. It's not really the big leagues. It's just a kind of a holding tank for uh, insurance policies for guys to, you know, come and fill in. with sprinkled in some prospects, and it's a cool level. I think you know, it's you're you're doing the finishing touches. You're rounding off the rough edges of these athletes that have been getting groomed for five, six years. So it's a cool thing to kind of just do the finishing touches and see how they go do in the big leagues. Do you ever have trouble correcting someone who has? five years big league experience knowing that you don't have any big league experience yeah i think uh like anything else you you know respect is earned you can be given authority but you have to earn influence okay right so i have a position of authority i guess you can be given a a title right right but you have to earn influence and i think through the way i develop relationships i 
I can hold people accountable for the most part. Like they, they understand where my, I'm coming from. They understand where my heart is. They know that it's out of love. So you know, I, I don't really have a hard time going to a guy that has five years of big league time and tactfully saying like, that's gotta be better. Obviously there's a time and a place. There's a feel factor that you develop over <clears throat> 20 years in pro ball that maybe some guys can't be checked in front of a group. Maybe some guys need to be checked in front of a group. Some guys, mm. you know, need it with that arm around their shoulder. Some guys need it a little turned up. Like, so you get to learn the player, you learn the person and you find the best way to get to their, to their heart. And then you lose them the next day. How does that, how do you handle that? You know, some, they're humans. Humans are, are messy, you know, and you may lose them for a day, but they come back the next day. And, and I, you know, it's, well, I mean, like, called up to the big leagues. Oh, I apologize. I was talking about lose them, like, lose their ear. Um, yeah, then they go to the big leagues, and you hand it off to the coaches up there, and we have a, a system that we kind of – a handoff email that we fill out to kind of give them a rundown as to what they're doing and how they're best coached. So it's a process. Hmm. What happened recently with Bobby Hamilton, the outfielder? Maybe it's not Bobby Hamilton. What's the guy's name that's now starting in left field for the Texas Rangers? Bubba Thompson. Bubba Thompson. Thank yeah. you. What did I say? Bobby Hamilton? Yeah. Boy, that sounds alike. <laughs> Way off. What happened with him? He's he's an interesting story. We drafted him in the first round, I think, in 2017 or 16. And young, raw, super athletic kid that didn't have a ton of baseball skill but he had a desire to work and get better every day. And he showed up day after day for five years. And at times he didn't play well uh, certain seasons, but the last two years he's kind of put it together at the upper levels and, you know, proved a lot of people wrong, especially this year. And he got an opportunity to go to the big leagues. And, you know, we've been together for, for the most part for the last five years. So you know, that's the, that's my payment in terms of, you know, why I get up in the morning and what, fulfills me is to, to have those moments where you get Bubba Thompson and you're able to tell him he's going to the big leagues, which has mm. been his lifelong goal. So it's, it's uh, such a blessing to be able to do that. How did that go down? How were you the one able to tell him he was going to the big leagues and what'd you do? So usually it's the manager that tells him. Sometimes you call him in the office. Sometimes it's done in front of the team. It just depends on who it is and the timing of it. Um, this one was a pretty special one because everybody, Bubba's universally loved. You know, we knew that it would be received well in the clubhouse if we were told him in front of everybody. And during the middle of the game, uh, Matt Hagens, our manager, he said, you know, think of a special way to do it. And I was like, I think my idea was to put on his walk-up song in the clubhouse after the game and then have Hagen come in and say, you know, turn that crap off. Like, I don't want to hear that anymore because – Bubba, mm, that's going, a good idea. Big league. So I thought that was a pretty, pretty cool. So way. wait, you're sitting next to Hagen's, the manager, the and game. he says to you, "Hey, by the way, I got a call from our farm director, like okay. Bonnie, Josh Bonifay, who's, I think he got the call like right before the game. So we knew the whole game, and we were kind of talking. Mm, to, sorry, how does that conversation go? I need Hamilton, or I need, Bubba. With, I need Bubba in Arlington yeah. on. Bubba's going up. Mm. Let him know. Wow. And so we have the decision. Sometimes you take a guy out of the lineup because there's, you don't want to risk them getting injured. But sometimes you don't want the news of someone getting called up to get out because there's other things or factors that have to happen before that news gets out. So you kind of got to keep things quiet. And we knew if we took him out of the game, that would probably cause a bit of a stir. So we kept him in the game, which was kind of like – and there was a couple of balls where he almost collided with outfielders or infielders, and we're sure. holding our breath. We're like, please, Lord, just let this kid get <laughs> through this game without getting injured. Mm. I mean, Hagen gave him a 3-0 take in the eighth inning, which we don't normally do, but he's like, I didn't want him – I'd rather him just 
walk or strike out than, than, than get hurt. So we got through the game and, oh, I'm sorry. He said during the game, he's like, well, how about a poem? And I'm like, what? <laughs> but he knows I can write a little bit and he knows I'm creative and he knows that like, you know, I probably do a decent job at it. So he I'm wants like, you to write a book. That was the first thing he told me when I met him yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, writing poetry and writing a book are two different things, but no doubt. So I start scratching notes and he actually gave me the last line. He's like, think of something that rhymes with the show. And then, you know, you're going to the show. So like that was the last line. So you work backwards and you start to put together some lines. And I'm thinking of the minor league grind and, you know, how we could tie it all in. Um, so you're doing this like during seventh, oh, eighth, ninth I missed, innings? I missed two innings. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> we scored like five runs one inning. I couldn't tell you who got a hit. And like somebody even asked me a question. I think Hagen did uh, about, you know, something that happened in the inning. I was like, I have no idea. Mm. And for the bench coach to not know what's going on during the game. But I think it was worth it to check out for two innings and lock in on that, on that poem. So anyways, after the game – you know, we get everybody in the clubhouse afterwards, and, you know, we Hagen was like, hey, so a, a letter came in from the top, like from our front office that Chase needs to read. No one really knew what I was about to say, but I said, uh, I got a little something I need to read. So I read it out, and, you know, it ended with, Bubba, you're going to the show, and the place erupted, and, like, someone was even ready on the ox to put on his song. His walk-up song got, got turned on right when he heard it, and, I mean, he's the most humble kid in the world. He literally, like, bent over and started to, like, untie his shoes. Like, he was just, like... Didn't even didn't know what to d- do. Didn't know what to do. Like he's just he, he doesn't like attention. He never talks about himself. Like he is literally the most humble player I've ever coached. So it was a super special moment. And he like he, you know, he had a beer, which I don't think I've even had him seen him drink a beer. He listening to singing the country music. You could just tell how genuinely joyful he was to mm. have gotten that call. That's cool. I'll post a link to your poem and the aftermath in the show notes so everybody can see it. It's worth a watch. I promise you that. What's his walk-up song? Oh man, I need to. I'll 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 give it to you. You can post it on there too. Something. I need that. Like I don't know. I need it, that. Yeah, I'd have to look it up. Where is he from? Mobile, Alabama. Okay. I started following him since. I yeah. think he's gotten a hit in every game, if I'm not mistaken. Last night he did not. Okay. Yeah, the first two games won. he got a hit. I right. know he got a bunt single in the first. Stole game. two bases the second game. That's right. Yeah, he's crazy fast. I posted something in my IG stories recently. It was the top all-time single-season stolen base leaders. Ricky Henderson stole 130 bases in a season, and the guys after him were like Vince Coleman, 119. Vince Coleman, 117. <laughs> they used to run when we were kids. Mm-hmm. God, and they steal bases. Yeah. I wanted to be one of those guys, man. Like, I used to try to steal a lot, but it is so frustrating when you steal and they swing at a pitch and foul it off over their head and you're standing on second, basically. It oh. happens all the time to Bubba, and I feel bad for him because, you know, our hitters are kind of trained to, when they get a pitch over the plate to, to swing. And,. The old school thought is, you know, let the guy steal the base. So, it, you know, it goes back and forth. But Bubba, sometimes I'm just, he's just got to walk back and do it again. And it's tough. It beats up your body. I mean, the way he runs, yes. it's like he slides hard and late. And yes, I mean, it's a, it's a tough thing to do. Well, if you watch me run, it doesn't look effortless. Yeah, you remember not with Bubba either. Bubba's not a, a glider. He's mm. a he's a churner. Like he yeah. he pushes the ground back. Yes, and he goes. And they'll pick you twice. Try to pick you off twice at first. The good news nowadays, I don't know if you know all the new rules in especially AAA, is you're only allowed two disengagements. You can only pick off twice. On the third time, if you don't get the guy out, it's a balk. So the pace of play rules have been like adjusted a ton. So we have a pitch clock now that like 
they enforce to where if you don't pitch by a certain time, it's a ball. If you don't get in the box by a certain time, it's a strike. And then the running game is upped because the pitch clock and the, the disengagement rules. So Awesome. Yeah. And that's at every level? It's been awesome because there's games. We play games in two and a half hours all the time. Wow. And it's like a fast pace. Like It's like watching a playoff basketball game or like an NCAA basketball game where there's just a there's a pace to it mm-hmm. that feels more enjoyable. Like as, as the casual fan, like I think it's going to be the best thing for our sport when it finally gets to the big leagues. Oh, so it's not in the big leagues. No. It's being tested in the minor right. leagues at every level? Yes. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So if you steal, they foul the pitch off, you go back to first – you used the word disengagement, which didn't I didn't really grasp. From the rubber. Disengage from the rubber. So the pitcher, if he steps off to, you know, reset the clock, that's one. If he picks off, that's one. So after he picks one, sometimes they don't pick twice because after two, you can get a massive lead and go lead and go first move. Wow. So like as the bench coach, I control the running game when we're on defense. So I'm putting down signs to, you know, to hold, you know, to come set and hold, to hold, hold and pick, to hold and pitch to try and disrupt the running game, but it's difficult when you only have two pickoffs to use per batter. So if a new batter comes up, you get two Resets, more. Yeah. You get two more disengagements, but it's tough, man. It, it, but it's for the game to have more running like they used to have with Ricky and Vince. Good. And for people want to see that. People want to see yes. action. I, I want to watch people walk and strike bases. out. Yeah. When I go to a nickel state game, I'm yelling like, fucking steal. Yeah. Come on, steal. Yeah. What are you waiting for? Yeah. Let's go. Because I look at the stats and like nobody's stolen. I mean, this is going to sound yeah. braggadocious, but nobody's stolen as many bases as I did. Yeah. That was 20 years ago. And it's because yeah. people aren't even trying. I know, but Give there's an art break. to it also. Like Bubba didn't, I mean, he stole 50 bases this year, but at the lower levels, I mean, he was getting thrown out left and right because he just didn't understand, you know, timing and, uh, you know, when to go and how to go and mm. what to look for. Like now he studies the pitchers. I mean, it's amazing the things they pick up on, like tells that like, you know, his glove moves first or his toe comes up, you know, like you study it and he's got, he's unbelievable. Now he's got thrown out twice and they were both, one was a pitch out and one was an inside move from second base. So like he didn't really ever get thrown out. Like, yeah. Those pitch outs suck. Yeah. God, do, you, do I hate a pitch out? <laughs> but I always had the green light, which is cool. Yeah. I'm sure he always has the green light, meaning steal whenever you yes, feel he's like he's on you green can. until he's put on red. Okay. And there'll be situations where Hagen will will put him on red. Okay. And what might those situations be? Score. Oh, so you're up seven runs. The if if the pitcher's just too fast and the, you know the catcher's got a cannon, or if. Uh, so that's another thing that the the lay fan doesn't realize is that before the game, the catcher is timed from when he receives the ball to when the second baseman slaps the dirt, which would be a runner during the game. And that's usually what, like a one seven five or something? That would be like elite elite. It's glove okay. to glove. So it's catcher catcher's glove to infielder's glove and the average is too flat in the major. Too leagues. flat in the big leagues. Okay. So you go sub two and you're you got a, a really good arm. Okay. So my memory failed me there. And then what about the pitcher's delivery? Well pop times are kinda of like forty times where Somehow Depends people just come come up with yeah. you know, there's a, a curve to that, but the true you know under two is good at the major league level. So what was the next question about the pitcher's delivery and right. the timing? So his there. time, his first move to the ball hitting the catcher's mitt is the pitcher's time, and 
know, anything over a 1.3, like Bubba's going to get you. Under a 1.3, it gets dicey. But some guys are under a 1.2. Two, two. They're like a 1.1 one, one to the plate, which is it's crazy fast. Yes. So, so you add those two times together. And, like, how right. long does it take Bubba to get from his lead to second base? We know that time. And then you do math and you figure out who – who is a candidate to steal against? Yeah. For Bubba, it's most guys, but every once in a while, we got to shut them down. Yeah, so the lay fan, again, doesn't know that. I didn't learn that until college. I wasn't timed on my lead to second base until college, so I know that I'm a 3-2, three, 3-3, three, three, whatever I was. I don't remember. And then the coach will tell you before the game, okay, the pitcher is a 1-3, and your catcher is a 2-2 two, two, or 2-1 two, or whatever, and then you do the math in your head. And then that helps you when you have the green light. Yeah. yeah. I thought people might find that interesting. The guy that got called up last year, there were a lot of guys getting called up because of COVID. There was an, an emotional one. And this is the guy that I alluded to earlier coming out of the elevator when we were going in. And you recorded it in the manager's office. That was emotional because yeah. he was like a 2 05 hitter right but did everything right dough for balls ran out everything good clubhouse guy but covid started knocking guys down in the big leagues and he got a call up and man it was the most raw emotion he put his head in his hands and god i started to get a little verklempt myself i'm so glad you send me those I, and i tell my buddies i'm like you know, maybe the best benefit of having Chase Lamon as a be as a best friend is like he'll send me when guys get called up to the big leagues, and that is the coolest thing ever. I and what's cool is I know how cool that is. Even at even inside the industry, like it's just as cool for us. So like yeah. it, it doesn't become old hat for us. Like it is a, a massive deal when we get to do that because we know what they've been through. We've seen what Ryan Doro has gone through as a 28th rounder from a division three school in Michigan where he's the little redhead that could, you know, he's like, he dies for everything. He plays his butt off every single day. And to see someone like that catch a break, which I'll, you know, my playing career, like I could have played in the big leagues, but I just didn't catch that break. And I joke, I'm like, where was COVID when I was right. in triple yeah. right? Like, but um, you know, he got that break and he got some time in the big leagues and it's like, he's forever a big leaguer, you yeah. know, and no one remembers well, you're, you know, it was a COVID call up. No, like his grandkids going to say, my yeah. dad, my grandpa played in the major leagues. Well, I'm that way. My, I didn't know my grandfather was a World War II replacement until yeah. I was 21. Yeah, but you know he was a big leaguer. Yeah, I knew yeah. he played at Ebbets Field. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing when we get to do that. I mean, our days are long and our days can get grindy and the travel's tough. But when you get to do that, and see that raw emotion and I love to capture it not only for them because I share it with them first so they can share with their family but to share it with my friends in the world it's something to be celebrated and to be shared we have friends who get lessons like hire professionals to give lessons to their eight-year-old you're how old is your son 10 10 okay but you would you wouldn't do that right I'll have them jump in there with like Hagen or some other coaches just to, you know, they'll give some tidbits, but like to a full blown, like official professional hitting lesson. No. It's so hard to know. I think I told you this. I asked Deggs, who's the head coach at UL Lafayette now, how do you know what kids know when they show up on campus? And he said, we've got to give them written tests. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's so smart. I've never thought of that because you don't know if you're talking to someone with an 11-year-old brain or an 18-year-old brain, which 
might be a 12-year-old brain because mm -hmm. kids don't watch games anymore, from what I understand. They don't watch baseball. Do you sense that, too, that they're not watching baseball, so they don't pick up on the little nuances? And 100%. They don't watch the game like we do. We, they... they you, and not I, even we didn't even watch it all the time. You just right, would watch just it in passing. Yeah, it's weird because I after a few years of coaching, I realized you can't assume anything. Like there's mm -hmm. never. I mean, there was a few times where I would think something to teach something, and I would be like, Nah, like yeah. he knows, <laughs> he knows that. And then come to find out, two months later, he didn't, and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I just lost two months of development because he didn't know that. So now I even at AAA, like I will go to the most menial, simple thing that I learned when I was 12. And they'll <laughs> inevitably out of, you know, say 13 hitters, one would be like, Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. You know, the other 12 are like, okay, duh. But you're, you're, you know, just like anything else, you're kind of teaching to the lowest common denominator. Like yeah. you teach to the, you, you can't assume. And then you got to tell them again, you can't assume that they remember what you told them yesterday. Yeah. So you're repeating and you're teaching the most basic things and, well, did you listen to the episode where I talked about wiping ass? Yes. Okay. That is the most mundane thing. You would think somebody would pick up on it, and I'm no dummy. Yeah. I would think that I would pick up on that, but I didn't. Yeah. So there's certain things that you pick up on that are advanced and other more menial things that you don't. So that makes coaching hard. It is. It's the tell them again league. I used to think that was only at the lower levels, but it's at every level. You mm. tell them again. You tell them a different way, and mm. you tell them again, and then you, you just doesn't stop. And then sometimes they say, "I got it, coach," and then it comes to the game, and man, they didn't they get it. They yeah. lied to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They'll nod their head and say yes, just to keep the ball, you know, things moving forward. But that's the beauty of our, of our job. Do you want to be a manager someday? Yes and no. I don't have a strong desire like some people, but I also think it's somewhat intriguing to be, you know, captain of the ship. But now, why do you say that? Would it be the prestige, the respect? Not, not I mean, really. You said the captain of the ship. I mean, you're leading things. You, you what you say goes. You don't have to like. Obviously, you have people above you, but you know, you create. I'm a, I'm such a culture guy. Um, that I think the manager sets the culture of a clubhouse. He sets the personality of a team you know the team will start to emulate their manager and their coaches mm. so I think that's intriguing to me to you know my style of play and the way I think and the way I go about my business I think would be um, it'd be interesting to see how a team followed that mm -hmm. lead but at the same time like I don't need it for a title I don't need it for the power I don't need it for the prestige I don't even really need it. I think it's it's somewhat intriguing, just like any job in baseball is. Like I think scouting's intriguing. I think front office is intriguing. Now, whether I really want to do it, I don't know. We'll just see. And that resonates with me because I'm at a point in my life where I could do anything I wanted to do, and I've thought about being like the beer guy at Minute Maid Park, just because I think everybody's life is intriguing. If I yeah. could get a beer guy from Minute Maid Park on the podcast. I would. If I could get a fry cook from McDonald's on the podcast, I would. Now, I've worked at Burger King, so I don't need to do that job. But there are other jobs that I've thought about doing, but I know that the requirement of hours, we need you here between, you know, 8 in the morning and 4 p.m., I'd be like, eh, yeah, no, I don't want to do that. Plus, one of the things I commented on yesterday is just how awesome everybody is that you work around. And if you take some menial job, you, there's no telling the tag head you might end up working for. And to have some 29-year-old 
loser telling you what to do and correcting you that could kind of rub you the wrong way and so I, I'll continue doing what I'm doing which is this probably and I do some coaching which is interesting because I always thought what I'll do I, I didn't like the idea of going into coaching after I played baseball because it didn't pay anything and I thought, well, I'll make a bunch of money, and then I'll go into coaching. Now, this is not the type of coaching I thought I would go into. As you know, I do Zoom coaching online once, two days a week. I always thought by that time I'm 45 and wealthy, and I'll, I'll be Chase's bench coach somewhere, wherever he is. You know, maybe he's at the University of Maryland, and I'll go be his whatever he needs, you know, something like that. So who, who, who knows what the future holds? The future is unknowable is what I like to say all the time. But do you have any idea where you'll be in five years? People ask that. And I think I just, in this industry and having been a minor league free agent for eight years and, you know, worked con year to year, contract to contract as a player and pretty much as a coach, like it's just really hard to, to have that type five year plan like yeah. most people have. Um, I really don't know where I'll be in five years. I could throw out some things, but it's just, you know, in this profession, you got to be where your feet are and being present is the best skill to have because the adversities of baseball and the unknowns and the lack of job security in some sense is it's, if you start thinking about that, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to miss the mark in terms of what you got to do to today. That presence is so important. That being where your feet are is what you said. They said Jordan was so good about that, yeah. and I could see that. Yeah. So present. It's so hard to teach, though. Like, the players I have, I mean, they're so hypervigilant. They're so worried about the transaction wires, and they're playing, you know, AAA GM, and they're trying to figure out who's going where, who's on the roster, who's getting designated, who's getting, you know, all these things. And I'm like, man, just go ball out. Like, easier said than done, but, like, that truly is all you can do. You know, you control the controllables, which are – you know, these are cliches, but they're real. You know, cliches are sticky for a reason. Yes. <clears throat> yes. People sneer at cliches, and those people and I usually don't get along. <laughs> yeah. You gotta, you gotta understand that they're cliches for a reason. I'm glad you said that. We ate at the toasted yolk yesterday. How good is that place? I'm trying to think if I've been there. Sarah said I we had a long time ago. I think when Champ was a baby. So it was probably pretty foggy when you have a baby. I don't remember it, but it was it was really good. There is a fog when you have a baby, and it flies, and I can't believe how big they get. I have a daughter that's a year and a half old. The coolest thing happened at Costco, what was this, two days ago. There was this woman in a wheelchair that was being pushed by a Latin American lady, I guess a caretaker of some sort. And she saw the three of us, my wife, my daughter, and me. And she looked at me, and she put her hand on my arm, and my love language is touched. So instantly I was drawn to her, and she goes, you're a Christian, aren't you? And I said, yes, ma'am. And she goes, yeah, I can tell. And then she looked at my daughter, and she goes, that girl is going to be something special. She said, y'all let her do whatever she wants to do. Mom, you're doing a great job. Keep doing what you're doing. Can I pray with y'all? And we were like, absolutely. And she put her hands on all of us. We huddled around this wheelchair in the middle of the frozen section. And she prayed for 30 seconds. And 
my heart was the warmest it's been. I mean, it was the coolest thing. I love Costco, man. It, w it doesn't surprise me that that happened at Costco. Costco has an awesome business model where you pay an annual fee, which is recurring revenue, which is why I think Munger, Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett's right-hand man, invested in, in Costco for a long time. I also invest. I usually don't share my investments, but I also invest in Costco, and I don't advocate for Costco stock or anything like that. But a couple years ago, on December 10th it was, they gave you $10 a share, just out of nowhere, a dividend payment that paid for a trip to Costco, which made me fall even farther in love with Costco. Mm. But compared to Sam's, it's so much better. And I'm coaching a kid. I, I call them kids. They're just like you probably call your guys kids. And he used to work at Costco. And I'm like, man, we were doing some mock interviews to prepare him. And I'm like, you worked at Costco for five years. I would tout that till the cows come home. Like everybody loves Costco that I know. And then I started asking him about the chicken and he was in charge of the chickens for a while. And those are, those are like audited. Ernst and Young does audits. Like they are decently healthy relative to any other food you could buy at a, at a fast food restaurant or any restaurant from what I understand. So he was telling me that they're going to try to keep the cost of those chickens at four ninety nine forever the same way that they do the hot dogs at one fifty. Like that's one thing they won't budge on. So I found that fascinating too. But first off, the story about your daughter is beautiful. I think that's awesome when someone takes the time to pray over your family and, you know, children are such a blessing and they bring out the best in people and you see people's genuine smiles and you get compliments on, you know, doing a good job and parenting is probably the hardest job to do. So when someone recognizes it, it does fill your heart because you, a lot of it's done in a vacuum or a void where no one sees it. No one knows what you're doing. You don't know if you're doing it right, if you're doing it wrong. I know for my wife, it's, it's, you know, she does, she works her tail off 24 seven and no one sees it, you know? And so when someone recognizes it, um, but you start to see it come through your children and that your children are a reflection of your parenting. And when you have well-rounded, well-adjusted, um, well-behaved children, it's a testament to the parents. So I think that's great when someone takes the time to recognize it because parents need to hear it. Um, as far as Costco, I've been to one and it was in Japan and <laughs> it was, it was awesome because we could go get a whole bunch of food for a good price, but then we'd have to try to get it home on our bike, which <laughs> <laughs> you imagine getting a Costco order and trying to get home on a bike with a little basket on the front. So, and then on the chicken thing, I've always wondered like why every business wouldn't have one thing that they just didn't budge on. And it was just super cheap and let everything else make the money. Right? Like if I had a restaurant, I'm like, my coffee's 99 cents or 50 cents. Let's call it a penny, whatever. Like when coffee, when I go somewhere for breakfast and they charge me $3 for a coffee, like, I don't want to go there again. And I think to myself, if they charge me 25 cents, I'd be telling everybody to go eat at this restaurant. Like how maybe and I'm sure they know the profit margins and they know the it better than me. But for me, that's like, that's such a cool gesture to not raise your chicken prices or to not be egregious with your coffee price. I wish I could remember. There's a toasted yolk type of place at the corner of 59 and grand parkway in Houston. Well, actually it's in Porter, Texas at that intersection and I asked for coffee with milk. They charged me the two eighty nine for the milk. Yeah. And 
the total bill was like thirty eight sixty five. You know how much I gave? Thirty eight sixty five. I was not tipping her. There's no way. Yeah. yeah. And of course I asked her about it beforehand and the answer she gave me was snarky, otherwise I would have probably tipped her, but yeah. couldn't believe that. The fact that Sarah, I want to talk about your wife, the fact that she works her tail off, I believe that about her. When you met her, you tell me that story. Didn't you ask her on a date and she pretty much laughed in your face or something? It is a good story. We we uh, had a game rained out and we went like 10 deep into Fridays and sat at the bar. Uh, and the Mets, the big league Mets were playing. We were in double A with the Mets and we're like, hey, uh, hey, sweetie, can you put the Mets game on? And she says, of course not. We only watch the Yankees in here. And I was like, uh, okay, just put the Mets game on. She's like, no. So I was like, okay, this, this girl's a little sassy. <laughs> <clears throat> Get talking. I think I asked for her number. She says, just call the restaurant and ask for Sarah. And I'm like, oh, all right. So wow. long story short, somehow I think I put my number on the ticket. You know, I wasn't usually that forward with a girl, but she was, you know, she obviously caught my interest. So I put my number on my receipt or ticket and she actually ended up texting me. So I had her number. But, you know, I wasn't looking for a girlfriend. I don't think I, you know, I kind of lost track of her for a couple of weeks. But on Easter Sunday, a couple of weeks later, I get a note in my locker, a handwritten note saying, good luck in the game tonight. Call me after the game, Sarah. And, you know, me in the clubhouse, I hold it up and show all the guys, like, you know, the, the good-looking brunette from Fridays just wrote me a handwritten yeah, note. 16 candles. Exactly. Yeah, and so, these are know, underpants. I was, I was showing off and peacocking, and uh, I call her after the game. I'm like, thanks for the note. She's like, what note? I was like, oh, uh, was our right fielder pranked me because oh I was, my goodness yeah our and I should have known because it was written in the most like South Alabama chicken scratch handwriting like this was like <laughs> tough handwriting and I when I first got it I was like sheesh this girl's got some rough penmanship but it was a uh, uh, gosh what's his name I can't even think of his name anyway uh, so well he doesn't like, deserve to be named here <laughs> well actually he brought us together because I don't think I would ever called her if it, if it hadn't happened Prentice Redman is his name. Prentice. Prentice Redman. Well done. Thank you. Thank you, Prentice. And uh, I was like, well, shoot, while well, I got you on the phone, you want to go? I was kind of panicked. You want to go on a date? And I hadn't probably been on two dates in my life. And she said, yeah, I like that. So we went on our first date. And Where'd you go? Ah, what's it called? Oh, gosh. Sarah's going to kill me. I can't think of the name of it. One of the things that's interesting about you talking about her work ethic is when I met my wife, she was working seven to three at a high rise as a concierge and then from four to 11 at the gym where I met her. And I asked her out thinking that we could grab a quick bite or something between three and four because I knew she had told me that she had these two jobs and she was like, no, I'm going to take a nap in my car. Whoa. <laughs> Luckily, I persisted. But what's interesting is I've told that story to many of my buddies since then, or maybe I wrote it in a blog post. And ever since, my buddies now, when they tell me who they've met, like that they like, that they're dating, the first thing they say is, she's a real hard worker. And I know that prior to the blog post or me telling them that, they would have said, she's cute, she's got a mm. booty that sits up high like a giraffe, something. Mm. Not, she's a hard worker. And so I feel like I started something, but it is so important. If you're going to have kids with a woman, she needs to be a hard worker. I am amazed at what my wife does with our child. 
Yeah, I, that was absolutely what drew me to Sarah was she put herself through college. Uh, she grew up on a farm, 1800s, house, built a house built in the 1800s, and she was up in the barn feeding calves at age 12 from at 5 in the morning before school. And then our family also owned a restaurant, so she would work at the restaurant after school till 10 or 11 o'clock at night. So, I mean, she grew up working. She grew up uh, understanding, you know, how to make a dollar. And so she, she has no pretentiousness about her. She's egoless. I mean, she has, she gets at the time when I met, she got what I did for a living. She understood the amount of time it took to be a professional athlete and she didn't balk at it. She didn't scoff at it. She was totally supportive of the time investment it took for me to do what I did. And I think that's what drew me to her. I mean, she's, and to this day, she's had to use that work ethic with our kids. She hadn't had a day off in 10 years. I mean, she's all in on parenting. I don't know how she does it. I mean, she's, you know, sleep deprived for probably the last 10 years, but, you know, she's, she's made a commitment to those kids and, and that work ethics, you know, serving them well, because you see the, how they are starting to turn out as little humans. And it's, it's unbelievable what she's been able to do with those two. That's so cool. So walk me through, do they go to Catholic school? They do. They do. She went to Catholic school. Um, before we even got married, she kind of you know, made it clear that she'd like her, she'd like to stay home and not work, be with the kids and have her kids go to Catholic school. So she was very forward as to what her expectations were. I had time to think about it. I decided that I could get along with that. You think that you could have provided for her to stay at home because you were going to be a coach, no telling when you're going to hit the six figure mark or be able to do that. I think when we had that conversation, I was making like $11,000 a year. So I don't know where I thought I was going to be able to do that. I've just always trusted that, you know, God will provide. And if we have a plan and a goal to do something that it'll happen. And, you know, I was able to play in Japan before we had children, before we got married. So I was able to accrue some financial stability. Uh, and so we've been able to do it. She hasn't worked since we got married. How much did you make in Japan? I guess it came out to a little over 400000 Damn. And you bought a house in the woodlands, I remember, helping you guys do that. Mm-hmm. And then... Sold that house, and now you live in Georgetown, Texas. Is that right? Correct. Which is, what, 30 minutes from Austin? Yeah, it's uh, just north of Round Rock, which is where my team is that I coach, about 20, 25 minutes away, right off 35. Georgetown is, yeah, just a northern uh, township city uh, from Austin. Okay. Cool. And so you bought there. That's Is that risky to buy a house as a coach? In what way? In the way that you get moved around so much. Well, no matter where you're coaching, the offseason, you have a home base. So I obviously am very lucky to be coaching close to home. Most people aren't. They're mostly coaching thousands of miles from home. From September to February, you're going to be home, wherever that is. So you get to choose wherever that is. Mm. And you guys chose Georgetown because you were going to be in AAA Round Rock. No. I was going to be in Nashville. I was slated to be a uh, hitting coach in Nashville, which is where our AAA team was. On a whim, we moved to Georgetown. And then two months later, after we moved, MLB restructured the minor league system and as to where who you know, where they were, and our team was moved to Round Rock. Wow. So it was a, was that a fortuitous... Uh, fortuitous bounce yeah, you got there. Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah. Well, MLB does that all the time, right? This was a big one that was like a 10-year commitment type thing. Like They, oh, okay. they kind of took over. It used to just be kind of run by the minor league 
owners and they would bounce around. Teams would bounce all over the place every offseason. Teams were moving everywhere, and MLB wanted to solidify and make it more efficient to where, you know, the San Francisco Giants AAA wasn't in Philadelphia. So they, they, they wanted AAA teams to be closer to the, the parent club, and they restructured it, kind of overtook it, and that's how it shook out. So for those listening, we're in Sugarland, Texas right now. They used to have an independent team here. So now it's affiliated with the Astros AAA team. Correct. Which makes sense, right? Because the Astros are 30 minutes down the road. Do they do trades for managers? Mm-mm. No. No, no trades. So I was just thinking the Astros would be a good organization for you to be in too. You don't have that house in the woodlands anymore, huh? No. Damn it. Because <laughs> that thing's probably appreciated pretty good. Oof. But so is your house in Georgetown, huh? Yeah, we kind of had to sell it to have the money to put down on the new one. So, it, you know, we couldn't really keep both. But, the, yeah, that we, we bought it the perfect time in Georgetown. We snuck in right before it blew up. Same with the Woodlands. Like, we got there right before ExxonMobil moved to the area. And we got to Georgetown right before Tesla started getting popping and Samsung. So it's we've, we've been very blessed, very mm. lucky. Do you get to hunt a lot in the off-season? I do. You know, I've, I've set it up to where I hunt within 10 minutes of the house, and I usually home by breakfast. So you know, I just like to get up and see the sunrise and see if a mature deer can walk by. But it's kind of it's my off-season passion slash hobby. It's, a, it's archery hunting, so it's extremely challenging, and I don't know if I'm a masochist or what, but like I hit baseballs for a living for a long time, and then I, now I go try to shoot animals with a little stick and string, and it's extremely maddening and frustrating, but I think that's maybe the way I'm wired. The only time I've been hunting – was with you yeah you took me (laughs) and i killed something yeah you did yeah i need to come up and see you there you've got a house you have an extra bedroom i do get out of here yeah well i've got a family now it's not as easy but shit we stayed we stayed in a one bedroom as a family of four for a whole season one time in a house with a family it was a host family and they also had three players down in the basement from the team. So <laughs> so you can come spend a weekend in one bedroom and be just fine. That's crazy. You have been through some shit. Yeah, we've but, lived all over. But the people, the connections and friends we've made from host families to teammates, is it's expansive. Yeah, I was going to say, like, if you had to go to Bowling Green, Kentucky, you probably know somebody there. You'd have a place to stay in Bowling Green. I don't even know if it's in Kentucky or Ohio. There's probably <laughs> one in both. It's kind of like Paris. Like, there's yeah. a Paris in every state, I think. Yeah. Hmm. What do you think of Deggs? Because you had always talked about him, and I finally got to meet him and, and like the shit out of him. Is he, is he something special? He is. He's a dynamic uh, human being. He has a way about him that, you feel like your best friends right when you meet them. I guess some people have that skill to make you just feel comfortable. He's genuine and authentic. He's Which is hard to find these hard days, Hard to find. Right? He's, um, he's been through enough things in life where you know it's, you know it's real. Like I think he's, he's, he's open and honest, and I guess vulnerable would be the word, that he, he's not putting up a front. Mm. You know, I think that's why his players love him. That's why I gravitate towards him great baseball mind he's a great communicator good motivator uh good judge of talent good judge of character and i think that's why he's been so successful yeah speaking of good speaker he introduced me no he didn't coach tib introduced me but 
he walked into the clubhouse before Coach Tibb introduced me and just quickly told, I believe it was a World War II story, and it fired me up, and I could tell it fired everybody else up, and I'm like, shit, I got to follow that. I mean, what an, he's an incredible speaker. And the talk that he gave in that five minutes was better than anything I received in four years at Nichols State. So I can't imagine playing for him. And if I had a son, yeah, I'd send him to Deggs, no doubt. It's not a surprise what he's been able to do with his career. Yeah, leadership leadership is a funny thing. It's it's you know it's, it comes in different forms and shapes. And I think you know I played for three legendary college coaches, and every one of them was completely different, but they were all super super successful. So I think the best thing is to find your voice, and I think Dags has done that. Like he's a great storyteller, so you you know you strum on that chord. You he's a great uh, orator, so he speaks and motivates. Like someone like Tim Tadlock, who is the Texas Tech head coach, was my coach in junior college doesn't say much but mm. when he does you listen so he has a way about him that he leads by example he's not going to give you a rah-rah speech we won a national championship and he told us before the game he said if we hit the ball and we catch the ball and we throw the ball better than them we're gonna win <laughs> and i believe we can do that and we went and like you know team on three and we went and won the national championship 17 to 3 or whatever like so it's 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 always fascinated me fascinated me to to read about coaches to watch coaches and to be a coach and see how it works. There's it's so it's objective. It's not there's no right and wrong. Right. You know, Coach K is different than Bill Belichick. Yes. Yeah, and as a coach, but I can't be Coach K, and I can't be Bill Belichick right. as a coach. Like I can read about them, but I have to find my way of doing things. Well, yeah, and you shouldn't be, right? You you can only be the second best Coach K in the world. You ought to take your talent stack of the books you've read, the people you've encountered, the trips to Japan, all the places you've been. That makes for one unique sum of a guy. And what will flow through you to those guys is going to be incredibly unique and I think impactful. And that's why I think you're so successful is because – you have that talent stack that you've acquired probably without even realizing it. Yeah, some of it's some of it was deliberate. I think I'm a natural observer of people, so I observe coaches and then I like you like you, you I've read. I've read about dozens and dozens of coaches and so I don't read it to emulate them and be just like them, but to just to get ideas and, you know, it stacks up inside of you like little blocks and all of a sudden you take your life experiences of playing in Japan and playing 13 years and having all this experience. And, and I think it does serve me well to, you know, my three pillars of coaching are empathy, kindness, and service. And you can't have empathy without having, you know, really gone through some things. And I've been through enough to really anything a guy's going through, I've probably been through. And then when I, when I was coming up, like in for baseball, some, in baseball, like kindness and service wasn't a thing. Like it was more transactional coaches of like, this is what we're doing, do this because I said so. And I think as a transformational coach, I'm trying to – I'm more collaborative than I am dictate, dictatorial. I don't know what the word and is. And that you probably learned from anti-role models. Though. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm not just learning from the good ones. I'm actually learning more from the ones that did not move my needle at all. It didn't help yeah. me at all. almost hurt me as a coach. you know. And I'm like, Lord, please let me not be like that. Let yeah. me, I may not make you the best player in the world, but I'm not going to hurt you. Yeah, so don't get discouraged, those out there who are still playing, or even if you're in the corporate world, if you're working for a bad boss, you can learn just as much, if not more, from that bad boss or bad manager, as you're saying, 
I wholeheartedly agree with that. And I'm I'm in a weird way so thankful for those bad coaches. I mean, they are, they really helped me out a ton. That's that's part of being a a victor and not a victim. No matter what situation you can garner a lot from if you choose to. You can reframe something to your advantage, but some people choose not to. It's easier to be a victim in some ways. So much easier, yeah. No, you're right. There was a, was there a third thing that you wanted to say oh, there? Oh, kindness. Empathy, kindness. Uh, empathy, kindness, and service. Service. So serving someone else and, you know, low man wins is something I heard in terms of leadership. Like, you know, leaders eat last. You know, that, that, that mindset of I'm no punk, but I'm here to serve you. Like, how could I, you know, how could I help you accomplish your goals? And I think that when you're pushing from behind, I think that's a better way to lead than to try and, you know, march out in front and try to people follow you. That makes if that makes sense. I was telling a guy that I coached just the other day. I so I'm a coach too, as I've said on the podcast, and you know, I have Zoom calls every week with guys, typically 20s, early 30s, who are just trying to figure out what to do. Most people in their 20s, most don't know what they want to do with their lives. I think that's more common than not, and so I try to help them navigate the pitfalls and overcome and build resilience and things like that. And I started as a coach that was a fire coach, which is an acronym, financial independence, retire early, but it was going to be via real estate investing. And I found out that we were having way broader conversations like you and I tend to do. So it became a more holistic approach to coaching where we set goals in five specific areas. We track them quarterly. And one of the things I tell them, especially if they're going to be interviewing, is that you need to let them know that what you do, in addition to what's expected of you, is an investment in your career. It's an investment in your contribution to this organization. And I was able to tell this kid, who I had been on the phone with for 50 minutes, and, and the calls are scheduled, the way it's set up is 40 minutes weekly. And I said to him, how many times have we stopped? Have I said, okay, that's 40 minutes, it's time to go. And he smiled, and I said, you see, I live by what I preach. I'm, I'm investing in you guys. I believe in you guys. I'm going to give you more than what you expect. And so I expect you to give the world, give your company more than they expect. And it's an investment. And we talk a lot about investing, obviously. Um, how do you think about that? I think there's a lot of similarities in terms of coaching because I've always, as a, coming up as a hitting coach, I feel like that was such a small slice of what I do. You know, uh, of course I can teach the swing, but I look at it more holistically that there's a, a complete player and a complete person behind that swing. So I think, you know, I consider myself more of a life consultant, but a baseball with a of concentration in baseball. Like, so I, I mean, a lot of the conversations I have with players aren't sometimes about baseball. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many ways to impact someone in a positive way that is, you know, based on mentality or mindset or, you know, reframing a bad situation, resilience, uh, tenacity, conviction, trust, all these things that it takes to be an elite pro athlete other than a pretty swing. I mean, I, I'm all for of, of a well-functioning, efficient swing, but at the end of the day, if you can't get in the box with conviction and trust and clarity, like you don't really have a chance. And how do you get that? It's through conversations. It's through guys like maybe just putting that little wind in your sails that you need to have that because the baseball will beat you down. It'll beat you down and play mind games with you and make you think things that aren't true. 
and you'll lose confidence and you'll lose conviction and you'll hide it because we're trained to do that as, as athletes and act like everything's fine. But I can, I can sniff that out and I can go with that little comment, you know, on the way to the foul line before stretch and this, you know, at 645, like you're the best hitter on this field, bro. Like, boom, that's all. Now he gets three hits. Like, was it the drill at five in the afternoon or was it that conversation? Who knows? I don't need the credit. Yep. I don't need it, but I do know that players do need to hear that. They do need to be reassured. And a hitter's psyche, and maybe it's all athletes, maybe it's all people, are very delicate. And But I know as being a hitter, and I felt like a, a mentally tough hitter who grinded and per- persevered more than most, man, all I needed sometimes was just someone to tell me I could hit. Just someone outside of my, my internal dialogue yeah. trying to convince me that I can hit when I'm over my last 20, like, it's a tough sell sometimes. And so I, yeah. I remember those times that all I needed to hear that was to hear that. And I, and I try to be that guy, you know, so I see it as like you do, like we're, it gets much broader than, you know, real estate. It gets much broader than having a you know, game planning against a certain pitcher. All of that's important, but mm. it's a holistic approach of like being mentally in the right space to be at your best. And I feel like the best coaches don't just help them with their specific sport or real estate it's helping them with their lives those are the the coaches you remember and you're thanking 20 years later i thanked coach mac by text what was this like two weeks ago just out of nowhere you know you, you just that's funny mac wrote me on facebook after i posted that bubba thompson call up and i said i'm i just i remember learning that from you at 16 just speaking from the heart like he, mac would get up and speak from the heart and i think you know, I coach from the heart. I wear my emotions on my sleeve, and guys know how much I, I care for them, and I love them because I articulate it. And that's something I picked up from Max. And, and to go back to, you know, you're, you're teaching life lessons, and you don't really know what your impact you're making until maybe 10, 20 years down the road. And it's crazy how guys will get released, and maybe guys I haven't even really coached or been around that much for three or four years. Maybe they went to another organization, or maybe they've been at different levels, and I'm one of the first people they text or call or you know to to be thanked for the you know what I did for them or and it's so cool to get those obviously that you don't want anybody to get released but everything this ride comes to an end for everybody and you hope to make an impact not just in their baseball career but in their lives and hopefully they become a better husband a better father because of either the maybe the the example I show with my wife and kids or the, the example I show with my habits and it's crazy how guys will come back they'll come back around and they'll they'll give you that that nugget of of thank and thanks yeah. and gratitude and it's such a cool opportunity to have to have such a influence on people's lives from like you've said in the past from 18 to 23 24 25 is like that's where the magic happens and you can really set some guys on a course in life a yes. trajectory just by you know spending a little time putting a little more into it other than like hey try this drill mm-hmm. you know i'm not a, i'm not a drill hater but at the same time, we have such an opportunity other than to work on their movement patterns or biomechanics, like yeah, get in there, get a little deeper. Yeah. Yeah, I could talk about Coach Mack for the next hour and just how he's impacted my life and bent over backwards to, to get me into a school, you know. Like I, I still remember the voicemails that he would leave me on my upstairs phone line, you know, how we'd all have different phone lines, and mm-hmm. it would be like, hey – uh, talk to the coach at McKinnon Junior College. Give me a call back. And it's like he didn't have to do any of that. No. But he did it. And to this day, he's a principal. And I just saw a video of him the other day putting on a big gold chain and a 
big old hat and a jacket and he's yucking it up with the kids at some like pep rally or something he gets it man he gets he gets what it's about and it's guys like that that you know have developed us into who we are and we're doing yes. the same we're paying yeah, oh, yeah. he would tell you that we get it yeah yeah i love to talk about ego too because you had a lot of it when we were in school was it humble pie that helped to diminish your ego yeah i think a lot of it was false bravado inflated um you know fake it till you make it which there's a time and place to to, to do that you know there's baseball's tough and you it's a man's game and it's an alpha males competing and sometimes you got to stick your chest out and act like you're the dude and i think i i kind of learned to do that but at the same time there's a you know pride comes before the fall and whether I did that or not, I think game, the game of baseball has a way of knocking you down, whether you're egoless or have an ego. So I, I got into college and started getting my teeth kicked in a little bit, starting in junior college, and then for sure University of Texas, and then you know Lafayette, and then you get into pro ball, and it's and it's just the, the incline gets steeper, and yeah. I think eventually the ego started to get tamped down a little bit, and I started to you know evaluate or observe other people and and see. You know, there's a saying, there's two types of players. There's there's humble players and there's ones that are about to be humbled. You know, the game has a way of, of feeding you that humble pie. And I think we all get off course with that. You know, you start thinking a little too much of yourself. and But that's something that I've, I've read a lot about, I've thought a lot about, is how I can go about my business and my job in an egoless way. I think the ego is a tool that can be used. So sometimes you do need it. You know, if you're going to go on an interview, you have to be confident. You have to toe that line between confident, confident and arrogant. So, yeah, the ego is a tool. If you're going to face Kershaw, you better come up to, to the plate with a little ego. But for the most part, it should be diminished. Because yeah. speaking I mean, of Speaking of acronyms, I... Ego could be said as edging God out. Like you become, oh, you're, like you're the you're the center, and everything your success is because of you. And mm -hmm. you know that's not necessarily the case. And I think to face Kershaw, I would say you need conviction, mm -hmm. right? You need clarity, right? Confidence, not ego. Not ego. I think it's mm -hmm. it's different. Ego mm -hmm. is a I don't know. It's it's a different thing. Conviction. Even and, though you have this tiger mentality. Yeah, and that's why it, it gets. The lines get a little fuzzy you know I, i'm a my number one uh thing for hitting is is mentality and i think being the predator and not the prey i think is is the most important fork in the road when it comes to being a successful hitter but at the same time you're not a tiger because you're better than everybody else like you're entitled or anything anything along those lines i think it's just you've put in the work and you've you've got the clarity and the trust to execute what you've trained to do. Isn't it interesting that we, when you were in town for six months out of the year, let's say, when we were in our 20s, because you'd be gone for six months playing ball and I'd be working, but you would come over on a Friday night and we would talk about books. I don't know where that started or who started reading first, but we would trade books. I don't know how many 25-year-olds are out there doing that. It was like, it was like we, we talked about books, and then we went out and had a bunch of beers. <laughs> then we you came know? back and talked about books of uh, 
a little half cocked. <laughs> yeah. Be, yeah, it was before and after. We'd do like a, a, I guess that was our form of like therapy session. We'd talk life and books and yeah. I, I don't know how many guys are doing that, but I, I would encourage other 25 year olds to do it because I think that set both of us on a better trajectory. Oh, big time. And I shared my favorite quote as it pertains to books with some of your staff yesterday, which is, the true rewards in life are on the top shelf. The way that you get to them is by standing on the books you read. And I learned that quote at a very early age, and I believed it. And I bought in wholeheartedly. And I will meet doctors, and this is going to sound a little braggadocious, but I will meet very successful people in later in life, and they'll think that I'm smart. And the only reason is, I mean, life experience has something to do with it, but while they were reading medical textbooks, I was reading books about life and how to get better, how to become a better communicator, how to become a better negotiator, etc. And so they're calling me when they need help with that. And so it might not be right away that you're benefiting and, and life is like this, compound interest is like this, it's gradually, 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 and then all of a sudden, so you pick your head up 10 years later and you've got these friends that are attracted to you because of what you've made yourself to be. And a lot of that, so much of that comes from reading and rereading and highlighting and making notes in the book. Mortimer Adler wrote a book called How to Read a Book. That's uh, a book worth reading because there are so many things we're taught in school that are wrong. Like don't, well, I guess you can't mark up a textbook, but the books that we are reading don't mark it up. Well, Mortimer Adler would tell you to make your own table of contents, earmark pages, write little notes in the margins, interact with the book as if you're having a conversation with the author. And that is beautiful. I mean, it's helped me immensely. And so I don't know if anything about your reading has changed through the years, but I found it so interesting that yesterday uh, the head coach – the, the manager. The manager, sorry. Matt Hagen. Matt Hagen said to me that he has a nickname for you because you always have a book in your hand, even in the gym between sets you're reading. And those people are going to separate themselves. When I spoke at UL in the fall, I said, you know, when I was in college, 25 baseball players are getting on the bus at Nichols State. There's only one with a book under his arm. What are the odds that that's the one that retired by the age of 35? I don't think that's a coincidence. Do you? And, you know, you could see the, the gears churning. You know, they were thinking about it. So, yeah, reading is just so important. What, do you remember how you started? Uh, my mom was an avid reader, but she would read fiction books or just novel-type stuff. So I always saw her reading. So I had an example in the house of someone that read a lot. And then I read some novel type stuff in high school and just enjoyed reading. But once I got into, I don't know if it was college or pro ball, I don't know where I was at a library and I picked up a Michael Jordan book, like a bi like somewhat of a biography. And you start to read about like an elite athlete and how they think and how they go about their business. And I started to learn in pro ball how most of it's mental. And I'm like, well, I can take swings all day till I'm blue in the face, but if I don't have a, if I don't separate myself mentally, I'm not going to out physical anybody with 34th round talent. So I was like, let me see if I can invest in my mental side. At first, it just started as like, you know, I'm going to get better at baseball. But then it became like, so I could go to another place when I read about someone like Tiger Woods or Michael Jordan or Dustin Pedroia. 
and I would read about these guys and I started to kind of take on their mentality and these, you know, the, the Mamba mentality of, of Kobe. And, you know, when you're young and you're full of testosterone, you're a professional athlete and you're reading about these guys and then you go into battle and you're trying to make a living hitting a baseball and the, 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 the games are grueling and the travel's tough and everyone's complaining around you and you start to become the antithesis of complaining and the antithesis of I'll never, I'll never tap out. I'll never ring the bell. Like you can't, you know, you can, you can beat me, but you can't break me. Like that's, you start to build this, it's not even a persona. It's just your way you go about it. And I, I liked it. And I saw that it showed up both as in results in the field and as respect for my teammates. So why wouldn't you want to go in all in on that? And there's a quote I heard about reading is, you know, you have no advantage over someone who can't read if you don't read. You, you don't. So the, the fact that you are trying to separate yourself in an industry where they're giving away millions of dollars to play a sport and you don't feel it necessary to take the time to spend 30 minutes to an hour a day reading a book, I've always wondered why people wouldn't choose to do that. But I saw the benefits of it pretty quickly in terms of how, you know, I'd always been a little gritty and grindy, and but the more I read, the more I had just the extra wind in my sails to get through the tough times. So, I, I, I mean, I attribute a lot of my success to reading. And it's not just about athletes and being a better athlete, but it's just in life, you know, how to do things better. You read about Buffett or you read about anybody, and you, you start to kind of put the pieces together on how to do this thing called life in the best way possible. Yeah, and just to refer back to something you said because listeners probably don't realize this but you were a 34th round pick by the New York Mets I wanted to throw that in there the biggest mistake a young person can make is squandering their youthful energy I tell them that all the time so as I was mentioning to you earlier and I know you probably realize this but I was reiterating I had like four jobs in my 20s there was no way I was going to waste a Saturday morning. That was, to me, like when I could separate myself. And it was reading. It was analyzing real estate deals. It was journaling. It was highlighting, rereading, all of those things. My wife and I joke around, like when we're packing up to move, which we're about to do again, I get in that box with the books and I can't I can't put the books down. I just keep reading. She's like, "Okay, boo, you like we we need to finish packing." And I'm like, "Okay, yeah, let me just finish this one book." Mm -hmm. And it's just going through the highlights. But yeah, I love it. Are you a journaler too? Yeah, that's funny you say that cuz I I think when Sarah and I first started dating, when I first got into pro ball, she got me a journal and I actually still have it in my bag right here, I think. I'm about to go check and see, but it, I remember writing down some of the quotes from the book I was reading, and I would, you know, instead of hi just highlighting it, I actually would write it down. Which is and, better. Right. So then, you know, I, I became, I put, got in the habit of writing quotes into that journal, and you go back and you, you know, forget them, and then you reread them, and, and so I have a journal from 2004 with quotes from 2004 about, you know, Michael Jordan or Dustin Pedroia or Coach K. So I do journal. I'm not as probably deliberate as you in terms of writing out every single day. I'm not an everyday guy. Okay. Well, I'll be the first to admit. I'll, I'll do a daily devotional, and I'll, I'll read Bible passages, and I'll write my thoughts on them. I'll do that a lot. But I even when I was playing, like I would – the written word and writing down your thoughts, and I would put on paper like what I was thinking when I was going really well, when I was hitting really well, like what is my mind doing right now? And it was 
and I have pictures on in that same journal of like what my mind was thinking when I was hitting in the box. And it's funny how I'll use those same pictures and thoughts to teach guys as a coach now. So journaling, journaling's extremely impactful. Like to get your mind, to get your thoughts on paper, I think it clears and it files your thoughts in a more efficient way instead of them just bouncing all over the place. <clears throat> I love that because you don't know how those sorts of things like reading and journaling are going to benefit you down the road. But what I'm doing now with coaching as an example, like the bit, the biggest benefit I think of journaling now is how many people I've got journaling. It's incredible how many people have told me that their lives have improved because they're now journaling and they heard it from the podcast, but yeah, I've been journaling now for 20 years at least, and it makes you a better speaker, more articulate, a better writer. It makes you more composed, less anxious. I mean, those are just off the top of my head. I could go on and on and on and on. There's just so many benefits. Tim Ferriss calls it vomiting on the page, which I think relates to the anxiousness that I alluded to a second ago with anxiety. But, yeah, if you don't have a journal, you're missing out on such a large portion of life. How much of how much would you pay to have your great-grandfather's journal from 1886? <laughs> And you don't get another chance to write in a journal. Like today is what? August 7th, 2022. If I don't write in my journal today, I don't get another chance to write August 7th, 2022. It's a heck of a point. And, and I'm looking through that journal I just mentioned. And there's a conversation from October 22nd, 2007 with Joe Espada, who's now the bench coach for the Houston Astros. At the time, he was the infield coordinator. And I was trying to figure out a way to get better at second base to get to the big league. So it's... And you go through this, this, and there's pictures of me cutting up the home plate and having different sites around the field for my plan and approach and me writing out my at-bats. And uh, as a man thinketh, I'm, uh, I have quotes from that. So I think at a, at a young age, you start to, especially the classics, like if you're looking to get into reading, like there's books that are vetted and time-tested that are absolutely going to impact you. And some, you know, you read about Viktor Frankl, like no one's ever read Victor Frankel and been like, ah, I'm not really, yeah, it's, and you, and to, to mention what your grandkids or great grandkids will think when they get to read your writing is another habit that I've created is where I write out a, a Christmas letter every year of the entire year as to what we did, the highlights, the lowlights with pictures to where like, it's a, a compressed recap of the year that I have in a file to where it's every year you can pretty much read about our life and i think that's super cool to be able to give to, to champ and stella one day well and it's super cool for me to read every year too i've been reading it for as long as you've been doing it and what do you know i have my journal right here and if i told you what book i read last night before i went to bed you wouldn't believe me as a man as thinketh, thinketh yeah. yeah goals for 2005 <laughs> like, yeah oh i have yeah i have those two man stashed away it's incredible. Like and there's times in John Wooden, and there's some stuff I've written here where I was, you could tell I was in a dark place. I was mm. struggling, and I was trying to get my mind right to dig myself out of whatever hole I'd gotten myself into and, you know, giving myself a pot talk saying, you know, you're the best hitter on the planet, you know, just trying to to feed that side of my brain that, that needed, you got to have the hit. Yeah. What are the odds that you and I would both have our journals with us? 
pretty high. I guess. Yeah, I, got, I, always, <laughs> I always have it with me. I don't yeah. know. I mean, I've, I've written here. a bunch more since then, but this is the one that is the most special to me because it was a gift from my wife, and it has the beginnings of my mental development, I guess, as an adult. Yeah, it's something. So what's the rest of your day look like? I go to the field about 1230, start to do some computer work. We do a lot of stuff on like Slack channels, giving out uh, teaching points, information. Uh, we'll start to get into our day. Well, Sunday's usually a lighter day in terms of early work, but there's usually some sort of defensive individual work. There's uh, some team defense sometimes. There's batting practice, of course. Uh, there's different meetings in terms of uh, meeting with the catchers, re reviewing the previous night, meeting with the pitcher, reviewing the previous night, uh, feedback loops, and then we get into into the game. So it's it's a long day, but it's kind of like I'm doing a podcast. You look up and it seems like it's been 30 minutes. Yeah, we've been going almost an hour and a half now. That's crazy. Uh, what's your favorite kind of music nowadays? I know it was probably rap back in I'm probably into 2000. Texas, Texas country. Yeah. Is my, uh, is Who's your guy, your go-to? Pat you Green. We saw a concert here, didn't we? Were you with me when we saw I that concert? I don't think I was. I thought we saw it at the... Uh, I've never been a country guy. And you know... The, it was at the racetrack, the horse racetrack. Weren't you... Oh, yeah. That might have been me. But I feel like if if Texas country were my genre of choice i feel like i would have been a more depressive person like especially with all the relationships and stuff that i've been through yeah i think you're like sarah y'all really listen to the words i couldn't tell you what they're saying <laughs> i know what they're saying but i never like consciously think about what they're saying yeah so i think i listen to music i guess i'm a melody guy should we start fun questions let's get it you know the first one i always ask everybody social media Net positive or net negative for society? Gosh, I hear people answer that question, and I like <laughs> when they answer both directions. I, I'm going to say net positive just because I think it's really good for people to stay in contact. I think it's good for marketing. I think it's good for relationships, unless you're not getting out and having real conversations. If your whole world is virtual socially, then it's probably a net negative. So I think it's probably person to person, depending on how you use it. Yeah. Is that a bit of a pun? Is that not really an answer? No, that's the best answer, I think. It depends on how you use it. Yeah. Which meta, which is what Facebook is called now, that may have us in the virtual world way more than what we are now. Who is on their phone more, you or your wife? I would say me. What's your favorite movie of all time? Hmm. I had this conversation with Matt Carpenter. It's not really a movie. It was like a series that came on in the 90s or 80s. I loved your Matt Carpenter story, by the way. Thank you. Matt's an unbelievable human being. I actually just texted him yesterday to send him the video of Bubba Thompson because I knew he would appreciate it because Bubba would always speak about Carp highly, as we all mm -hmm. do. So I sent it to Carp, and he's in St. Louis. He just got a standing ovation. He's probably got a million family and friends in town that standing o was incredible and i send him a text about bubba and he writes back in two minutes he's like that just made me tear up mm -hmm. i'm so happy for bubba please give me his number so i sent bubba's number over to him i'm sure he either called or text which is the kind of guy matt is for the question you asked my favorite movie lonesome dove was a six 
a three-part series. It was actually my favorite book I read in high school. It's about a Texas, your Texas cattle drive. Parents' favorite movie. Correct. book. Correct. Yeah. So I say that, and then tied with that would be Braveheart. And then I think those are the two, the two tops. I love Forrest Gump. I love Forrest Gump, too. I love Hoosiers. <clears throat> I love Can't Buy Me Love. I love Top Gun. Did you see the new one? Not yet. Not me either, yeah, but I'm dying to. Yeah. That's something we should have done while you were in town. Yeah. Uh, who's your favorite band? Or Obviously, it was Pearl Jam in high school. I don't know if I'm not as into music as other people. Like yeah. I don't I don't have like a go-to band I put on. I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm different. I kind of it kind of depends, I guess, on the mood and time. I think I'm the same way. I think you and I have so much in common and that's why we might be here today. <laughs> if you could go anywhere in the world for 2 weeks, where would you go? Oof. It depends if it's with my family, it probably is like the, you know, Florida Keys or some cool beach. Uh, if it was by myself or with Champ on a hunting trip, it'd be like Alaska to hunt moose or grizzly bear or something super <laughs> adventurous where, you know, I'm living in a, staying in a tent or I'm out in Colorado chasing an elk or something. So I don't know if you consider that a, you didn't say vacation. Where would you go to spend two weeks? Either a beach with the family and hunting with me or Champ. Okay. Which beach? I've never seen the Florida Keys and Sarah's been there a bunch and she loves her favorite places in the world so to see her be in her element where somewhere she loves would be intriguing to me everybody raves about the florida keys i've never been yesterday we were talking about once you get past 80 or ninety thousand dollars a year it's been proven through studies and other ways that there's no additional margin of happiness that that you derive from making even more money yet we keep pushing and working ourselves to death why do you think we do this that's a heck of a question i sometimes question my ambition because i think i see that pretty clearly and i'm i guess it's just you're feeding the ego you're you're uh i guess you're worried about what other people think you're trying to keep up with the joneses you're you're fulfilled by material things like i, I guess i don't know i i i'm glad i don't have that I think you're right that being content isn't a bad thing. And so sometimes I guess the, the world will make you think you, you're not driven and ambitious enough when you're content and fulfilled. But do you but feel Bible like says contentment is, you know, kind of what we're going for. Yeah. I think you can be content with all that you have <clears throat> while pursuing all that you want, but you do need to know when enough is enough. Sure. But you would consider yourself a contented person. Well, I think being wealthy or rich doesn't have anything to do with money. Wealth is, there's a quote for it that I'm, I'm missing off the top of my head. Being wealthy is being content with what you have, whether it be your family, your, your finances, whatever that may be. So there's a, there's a poor person in Uganda that's probably more wealthy than a billionaire in America is kind of what I'm getting at. So if you were stuck in the Florida Keys by yourself and could only bring one band's album, it would be Pearl Jam? Jimmy Buffett. Oh, really? Yeah. Because sure. of the atmosphere? I love Jimmy Buffett, and that fits that atmosphere. Yeah, okay. 
if someone were to give you $100,000 worth of stock in one of these three companies, Spotify, Airbnb, or Tesla, which one would you take? Tesla. I don't use Spotify. I've only stayed in Airbnb once or twice. I don't have a Tesla, but I think Elon Musk is a, he's a winner. I put my money on him. Okay. If you have somebody were to give you $100,000 in Amazon, Apple, or Microsoft, which would you take? Hmm. I'm not a financial investor, but I guess I would say I'd say Amazon just because it's, it's going to be so hard to dethrone. Yeah. You're hosting a dinner party at your house. Cost is no issue. Are you having four, six, or 12 guests? Probably four because Sarah's more into like less people. But if it was just, if it was me hosting, more is better. Like she's a little more introverted. I'm a little more extroverted. Um, so final answer, four, four. Couldn't you compromise at six? Oh, good point. I bet we could. I think our table only fits like eight though. And there's four in my family. At this dinner party, you cling, cling your glass. You stand up because you want to thank everybody for coming. What do you say after thank you? <sighs> Is it a trick question? No, not tricky at all. <clears throat> what do I say? It's just, trick to rock around, to rock, rock around. That's right. On. Um, does anybody need another beer? Or another <laughs> uh, water? Or anyone like to stay here tonight? Like whatever. You know, I don't know. I guess the... When does the thanks happen? Is it at the end of the night, the beginning of the night? Well, whenever you can clean your glass. I guess it would be at the beginning of the meal. So the next thing would be who wants the chicken leg? Thank you for coming, everyone. Who wants the chicken leg? That's what you'd say. Final answer. Okay. Fair enough. Is not wanting something just as good as having it? This one makes my head hurt every time you ask it. And... Say it again. Is not wanting something just as good as having it? I'd say so. Yeah. I think the comparison is the thief of all joys. So I think a lot of times we want things just because we see other people having it. And if you can avoid that, I think you're better off. Who is that quote attributed to? Comparison is the thief of joy. I don't know. Do you know? I think it's FDR. I could be wrong. Do you think coronavirus was deliberately unleashed on the world? I think it was deliberately made, but maybe accidentally released. Hmm. How overweight should you be at 62? Five pounds. How many social media apps are you on? One. Really? Yeah. Facebook? Facebook. Any desire to be on Twitter? In some ways, yeah, but I just, it would just probably gobble up more of my time. Personally, probably just self-promote myself. I probably should be on it because that's what a lot of coaches do. And I've heard there's great information, great things to read, and I love to read interesting stuff. But I feel like I get enough of that on in my books and on Facebook. Mm -hmm. How different are 20-year-olds today from, say, seven, eight years ago? Not as much as you'd think. I mean, there's a human element that runs through 
all of us. I think we're all more similar than we are different. I think that my generation's a little different. I mean, I know the players I coach are not – I don't like to use the word soft, but they, you got to treat them a little more with kid gloves than, say, we were treated. But who's to say that's the way we were treated that was the right way to be treated, you know? Good point. If there was one thing that you could change about yourself, what would it be? I think we talked about this a little bit yesterday. I, I have a I have a defensive streak in me that I guess if it's a fight or flight, I'm more of a, a fighter. I guess I'll 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 hunker down and and get a little defensive. But that's a good question. Pretty pretty happy with myself. <laughs> I don't think that's the ego talking. I just think. Well, what could you most improve upon, or what are you working to improve? It's a good question. I think I've always liked to talk and tell stories, which sometimes makes me not be as good of a listener as I can be at times. Mm -hmm. I don't think I over-talk anybody, but I think we have two ears and one mouth for a reason, and especially in my profession. I need to ask questions more than I need to tell. I wouldn't say I'm bad at it, but I can always be better. The people mm -hmm. I respect the most are the ones that are just really good listeners. You know, they just sit and they list, let you finish. They're not looking to just butt in or top your. I think there's there's some magic in just being able to really listen. Is it a lie if you believe it? Yes. It's like it's like the same as like your truth. <laughs> how that's coming. Oh, huh? Right. So I think that falls in the same category. Who's more likable, Tony Romo or Drew Brees? Tony Romo. I, I think he's a great commentator, and I, I didn't dislike him as a quarterback. And I don't dislike Drew either, but I think as a commentator, I like uh, Tony's personality better. What is your favorite baseball, basketball, or football card that you currently own? I was just looking at my baseball card collection with Champ the other day. I had a Daryl Strawberry one that was pretty, pretty special. I don't mm. know. I think I had to like trade a whole bunch of cards to get it. That <laughs> one kind of stands out in my head. Who? I think I asked you this last time you were on, but who's the most impressive person you've ever met? I think last time I answered David Wright. Yes, it was really you did. impressive. My mentor, Mr. Janess, Charles Janess, is about as impactful of a person in my life and impressive human being. Matt Carpenter has, has jumped on that list this year. Yeah. I mean, just as a, as a person. Well, shit, I'm a huge fan now, too. Yeah, as you should be. If you were put in charge of naming the Washington football team, what would you name them? By the way, your wife is her favorite. She's like a diehard former Redskin fan. 100%, yeah. What does she think about all that, and what would you name them? She goes along with it. She doesn't think it should have been changed, but she's not going to just be you know, insubordinate and like. Well, neither do ninety percent of Indians, if we can still call them that. Yeah, I think. Oh, renaming the Washington Senators. <laughs> I don't know, I, well, the baseball team was the Washington Senators Correct, at one time. Yeah. Well, that wouldn't be a bad name to yeah. bring it back. Yeah. Okay. If you were a Jeopardy contestant and got to pick the final category, what would it be? White-tailed deer hunting? 
This question comes courtesy of Brent McDonald. Would you rather win a gold medal or a national championship? That came up in the clubhouse the other day. I should send you some of those questions. There's always our trainer puts a question on the board every day that's like those type questions, one or the other, A or B, and they're always really intriguing questions. Mm-hmm. Off, the, off the top of my head, of course, I can't think of any of them. But to that one, you said national championship or gold medal? Mm-hmm. I think national championship, and I think one of your previous podcasters said it that way, where there's a culmination of four years potentially of work with teammates that you've bled with and sweat with. I've won a national championship, and it was, I can't imagine it being much more special than that. But a gold medal to represent your country? Like, is it a team sport, individual? He is didn't it, say. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to say 51 national championship, 49 gold medal. Okay. Name one thing that's more important to success than hard work. Attitude. Attitude is so important. I mean, it's so important that it goes without saying. Like, it seems like it's something we never talk about. It's it's not quantifiable, I guess. It's You can't see it. You can't document it. You can't make a schedule of, like, I'm going to do this much attitude today. Have you ever lauded someone for not talking bad about others? 100%. So you think that's a wonderful trait to have? One of the best. I don't. (laughs) You set me up there. Well, I just think, have we had conversations? We've certainly talked shit about people. Okay, there's there's different environments. Are we talking about, I always think in teams of a team culture. I think of of a clubhouse, and I think of the cancers are the ones that are talking the shit. Mm. Yeah, of course. So if it's me and you in in a... in a room having some beers yeah we can we can get some stuff off our chest but yeah yeah so i think we're looking at it from different paradigms like i heard somebody who died young and and one of the things said about him at the funeral was that they had never heard him say a negative thing about anybody and i thought i don't know that that's admirable (laughs) well you've always been a little more real confrontation not confrontational like you're just yeah you're really you're gonna you're like kind of like my wife where she's uh brutally honest at times does that mean you're saying something bad about them or you're saying something truthful like which is a big hot topic that's right subjective, now subjective right like i mean if the truth hurts if someone yes. but at the same time someone would say you or sarah is one of the best friends they have because they do shoot them straight so it's mm-hmm. you know you need friends like that you need friends that are going to call you out call mm-hmm. out your bullshit and <clears throat> yeah. or a spouse Don Lamone or the Cuomo guy if you're gonna have a beer with one of those guys to Don Lamon, Don Lemon yeah <laughs> did he change his name recently I don't know or the Cuomo I don't know the the, the guy uh, that was on CNN I'll say Cuomo say Cuomo huh yeah. Uh, if you could have a beer with uh, Donald Trump or Tucker Carlson, who would you have a beer with? I feel like Tucker Carlson would pay better attention. Mm. Even though it would be like cooler and more braggadocious to say I had a beer with Trump. Mm-hmm. But like, if, it was, if no one knew about it, and it was just me 
than someone just genuinely having an a intriguing conversation, I'd say Tucker. Do you I just feel like Trump would be like looking over my shoulder trying to figure out like, why am I talking to this guy? Yeah. Or he would strong arm the conversation, which I don't think is that enjoyable. Do y'all still talk about COVID in the clubhouse and stuff? Not anymore. Okay. Do you think popularity is currency? No. No. What's your view on athletes letting their politics be known? I, who's the head coach for the Steelers just said the other day, he's like, y'all are athletes, not activists. Like Pete Carroll. Mm, no, the Steelers. Oh, uh, Mike Tomlin. Yeah. And then I think about Jordan saying Republicans buy shoes too. Yeah. Obviously, a freedom of speech and you have a platform and you feel like you can make a difference, then then go ahead. But if you're just going to be, I don't know. Ed, I see both sides of it. You said divisive. I'm surprised to hear you say that because I say divisive. Mm. Tomato, tomato. You spell it with an O-E or do you spell it with just an O? Tomato? Mm-hmm. I can't remember the last time I wrote it. If or I did. So, yeah. Do you think the world's drastically changed since March of 2020? The world drastically changed. More no than yes? More no than yes. Some, but I mean, where's drastically? What's That's a very, that's a subjective line in the sand. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. At what age do you hope to retire? Man, retire does not sound like something that I even want to do. I think maybe when I get older, I'll have a desire to, but I don't think about like. Well, let's say quote unquote retire to where you could do whatever you wanted to do. You could hunt. You could start a hunting gig or something. 60? 60. Fair enough. That's going to come so fast. You know that? crazy think about that that's 18 years from now 18 years ago we were 24 unbelievable do you have a favorite baseball related website i love stats so i go to the baseball cube anytime i want to look up someone's stats because it has their college stats their minor league stats and their big league stats all uh yeah you looked up mine one time and sent them to me (laughs) i did (laughs) yeah nice you said how is this guy not drafted made my day that and uh, MLB Trade Rumors is a really good up-to-date news on players and trade statuses and DFAs and things like that. MLB Trade Rumors. How are you saving money currently? Uh, through my 401k. Rangers match it? Up to a certain percent. Okay. We put some away for the kids monthly. And then if we like, when we sold our house, we put some put a chunk of money in, into our nest egg. You're a big UT football fan, correct? Yeah. If they could sign Nick Saban to a three-year deal or Bill Belichick to a seven-year deal, which would you choose? Saban. Saban for three. Yeah. Do you consider yourself a deep thinker? Deeper than most, but not like Deepak Chopra or whatever. I mean, what's his name? Like someone like that. Like I yeah. Or I think of Jordan Peterson, and I'm like, I mean, these guys are such a – a different depth than me, even though I'm probably more textured than most, but I mean, not to the, not even close to those guys. Yeah. Give me your favorite, uh, three books off top of your head. Oof. The art of learning. 
the way of baseball unbroken unbroken is something you recommended to me about 12 years ago and i really enjoyed it's about addiction right that's a different one this is the one that was made into a movie about the world war two or world war one veteran who was stranded at sea for 60 days oh you recommended that one to me to too a, a japanese pow camp for yeah so i say this all the time if somebody you respect recommends a book to you buy it that day and just stack it up and there's also this joke about the way you know whether somebody reads or not they walk into your house they see your bookshelf and they say wow have you read all these books nobody's read all the books on their bookshelf yeah. and so that's the tell like you're not a reader obviously if you're going to ask that question i think you recommended fearless was that you either way that's no a, i think un, you recommended that to me book. was that tim grover uh no that's limitless i think fearless was about a uh like a special ops navy seal type story mm. you know the lone survivor was a was a hitter um mm -hmm. start with why simon uh, Sinek. yeah What got you here won't get you there. I mean, there's people ask me for book recommendations, and like, there's there's a hundred that are all like equally as impactful, you know. Well, I recommend it based on them. Yeah, exactly. And so that's but that's a good point because I'll have players ask me for book recommendations, and I'm like, oof, like I need to think about that and think about you as the person. What's the one piece of travel equipment you'd recommend to someone if they only had a hundred dollars to spend? Airplane pillow? Oh, that's yeah. something you put around your neck? Yeah. Okay. We got time for one more question, and that, I hate to say it, but it's going to be how can people connect with you online, brother? Yeah. That's uh, Facebook, Chase Lambin. Facebook, I'm the only Chase, Chase Lambin, Lambin on the planet, so should be easy to find. Very good. I enjoyed this as much as I thought I would. It was quick. It was unplanned. We decided yesterday, why don't we put one of these? You're... Great suggestion. Hey, you, did you bring your podcast equipment? I'm like, yeah, I did. Let's do one tomorrow morning. So, good suggestion. I love you. You know that. I love you too, bud. Friends, if you enjoyed this episode, please copy the link and send it to your buddy. If you want to follow my adventures, I am at man underscore overseas on both Instagram and Twitter. Chase, any parting thoughts? Good seeing you, man. We should uh, we shouldn't go so long without seeing each other. But with our lifestyles and the way we travel, it's it's good that we got to cross paths this weekend. It was awesome. Okay, thank you, folks. Thank you.